0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name, of course, is Derek Graham, and my friend and colleague is with me today, as usual, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin.
1: Hey, Derek. Glad to be here, and I believe we have a juicy topic and a guest, so looking forward to the chat.
0: Very much the case. Now... Many of you know that we've been being very contemporaneous in the last couple of months because there's been so much news happening in this space. And we've broken from our tradition of of bringing on interesting people to discuss their area of expertise. And we've decided today it's time that we brought that back at least for this episode because we've got Clive Thompson with us today who I've got to say, I've known for the last probably 18 months, two years and visited twice now in Switzerland and and found Clive to be fascinating. And I wanted to share some of Clive's insights, theories
2: and ideas with our audience. Hello, Clive. Well, hello, Derek, and thank you very much for inviting me on your show. And hello to Nitan, too. So if I don't know any answers, Nitan, I'm going to throw the ball back to you to answer the questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. You so, a quick, Clive.
0: a quick background on Clive. So Clive is a retired wealth manager from Switzerland, lucky you Clive, and you're a Brit by origin, but you've spent most of your life living in Switzerland. Each time we've caught up, it's been in Geneva and at some delightful restaurant in, in the old town and old city, and we've had long conversations there. And part of that's generated by the fact you spent nearly 47 years working in wealth management and in private banks. in in Switzerland, and so you've been very much built into the banking system, which after all, there are two and a half thousand of them there in Switzerland. So it's a very active area for it. You've got some interesting economic theories and in some ways quite shocking. And we've adopted some of those in our recent market commentary that Mark Witten's brought out because he simply raised the obvious. And that is that the U.S. interest payment level at the moment is sitting at about $960 billion per annum. It's growing exponentially, so it'll exceed $1 trillion fairly soon. And that being the case, it's not just affecting its currency, of course, for the U.S. debt, but it can even affect third-party groups like the BRICS nations who are paying their debts back in U.S. dollars. So this is a global and very much a macro Challenge that we're seeing in the, in the form of massive government debt. And you've made the statement quite clearly that you think that governments are enormously over indebted, overspending, and that that's going to continue and you're going to see more rising debt occur. And so the question is can that go on forever, Clive?
2: Simple answer no, something bad is going to happen sooner or later. But perhaps i just give you a quick source for my information. My starting point is to use the government's own numbers, which come from the Congressional Budget Office. And their plan, which is completely different from the plan a decade ago, is to have budget deficits forever, as far out as the eye can see. So we see, when we look at their own plan, we see the debt-to-GDP ratio rising from the current 100-and-something percent to over 200 percent in the next couple of decades, and it's going to be a lot worse than that and a lot faster than that, because they're, when they produced their plan in the past, they always exceeded it. Ooh. So according to my maths, if they repeat the past, which I think they will in terms of level of error in the budget, I think that in a decade, we might be looking at interest payments on their national debt exceeding the totality of their revenues. That's not their official plan, but it's my maths that I think we could easily get there if they have a slippage in their plan.
0: So the US dollar is really the global reserve currency. Maybe the laws of economics sort of warp in this unusual situation. Maybe they can go on and keep printing money you know, for eternity. So question, can they keep doing that? And the next thing is, what about the rest of the currencies that aren't the, uh, the reserve currency of the world?
2: If you stepped back 30 or 40 years ago, nobody in their right mind would have said that what we have today is possible. They would have laughed in your face if you said we move off a gold standard and we back our currency by thin air, nothing at all. And not only that, we're going to keep spending more every year than we collect in taxes, and the amount we owe will go up and up and up and up forever, a bit like a game on a monopoly, every time you pass, go, there's more money in the game. People would say, that's that's not possible, nobody's going to trust the currency. So here we are in impossible territory, and Mm. this impossible territory is about to get a lot worse. So what was the second part of your question, Derek? How does that impact
0: the nations that aren't the global sovereign currency? Oh, sorry, Um, the global reserve currency that the US is.
2: Well, We've got the BRICS meeting coming up in a few days on the 22nd of August. And the expectation is they're going to reach some sort of agreement where they can trade between themselves in their domestic currencies instead of using the dollar. Now, that's not not really related to a distrust of the dollar. It's really related to the fact they want a plan B, because the dollar has, to all intents and purposes, been weaponized. But uh, at the moment, nations have no choice. They have to trade the dollar for their global currency trading. And I think that's going to continue, although the dollar will lose its dominance very, very slowly, but it will happen. But yeah, I I don't know what more to say other than it's a slow decline for the dollar from here on. So you've,
0: you've really talked about this decline, this kind of you know, growth towards hyperinflation potentially. And the concept that there may well be a parallel currency coming into play and that CBDCs that we have different perceptions of in regards to it coming on as just the reflection of the standard currency that the nation is going to present the CBD under. You've got some thoughts that CBDC and hyperinflation may play a different role in the future.
2: If we get into a, a crisis, and we must remember that crises come along with a great deal of regularity. We're talking about black swan events. So black swans are very rare, but they seem to happen all the time in different ways. There will be a if let's say we have the right sort of crisis where, and it's not the right crisis, but the the kind of crisis which causes. Economic panic somewhere, maybe a, a flee, a flee away from the dollar. Maybe that would be a currency crisis. Maybe a crash in the bond prices. Maybe a rush to buy things in the, off the shelves in the supermarkets. The supermarkets empty. The government is forced to take action. Now, there's many actions which have been taken in the past by governments who've been facing these kinds of crises. These have ranged from complete default through to starting a new currency to restrictions on prices, price and and wage controls. But I think the next one might come from the CBDC. So the plan of most Western governments, all of them, in fact, is to bring in a digital currency known as the central bank digital currency, which is... Very different from the digital currencies you're using at the moment. The digital currencies you're using at the moment is the money in your bank and your credit card and your debit card. Those are digital currencies, but they're not the CBDC. The CBDC is... Distinct from all these currencies. It's a direct liability of the central bank and it's convertible when it comes out one to one with the existing money you've got. So you'll still, if, it, if you're in the UK, you'll still call it pounds. And if you're in America, you'll still call it dollars. But the dollars are different from the dollars in your bank, they're different from the ones on your credit card. Now, You'll be able to initially, and the plan is to freely move your money backwards and forwards into your CBDC wallet. Your salary will come into your CBDCs wallet and your uh, your purchases in the shops will be in CBDCs. You'll be paying in taxes, probably in CBDCs, maybe not on day one, but when it's up and running, you'll be doing that. And maybe later, large transactions will be in the CBDCs. However, when the crisis happens, and I say when, because crises are regular, and When it's convenient to do so, they will use the crisis as an excuse to limit how much money you can move out of the banking system and into your CBDC wallet, thereby effectively splitting the currency, that means the US dollar into $2, or the pound sterling into two pounds, types of pound, the euro into two types of euro, the Australian dollar into two types of Australian dollar, and so on. Effectively, you now have two currencies running in parallel, one of which you can't spend Freely anymore because you have a limitation as to how much you can put into your CBDC wallet, and the CBDC wallet is the only thing you're allowed to spend. So effectively, we'll get. I, I see in this. This will be the, the new way of dealing with the effectively a, a sort of default. It's not a default because the the old dollar will still exist. It's just that you can't spend it in the shops and that you can get it into your CBDC wallet. So when they bring in this restriction, of course, these old dollars in your bank and so on are not worth as much as the ones you can actually spend. So you actually have two currencies running side-by-side, side, a parallel country currency, one of which you can spend, one you can't. And that means the one you can't spend is worth a lot less. I would say it's going to be worth 30% less on day one, and three months later, it's going to be worth 70% less. And a year or two later, it's going to be worth absolutely nothing at all. Now, the advantage to the government of this is that they have left behind their national debt in a currency which has effectively become defunct, because nobody wants it, nobody can spend it.
1: Wow. So so one question on this, Clive, a certainly interesting perspective, is you talked about you know, various BRICS, BRICS nations coming together in terms of having an alternative to US dollar as a global reserve. And then you had a few Indonesia-led ASEAN you know, summit, which talked about the same. So th- these phenomena are sort of emerging now around the world. At the same time, if you look at Argentina, Zimbabwe, or many of the countries that are plagued with hyperinflationary environments, they still have the need and demand for a bit more stable currency because they still want to be able to see their savings not being lost to inflation. So there's a there's an interesting conundrum here where you have the nation states looking to have an alternative currency, which has the potential to diminish the dollar as global you know, reserve. At the same time, you have 8 billion people and a fraction of that still want to have their savings in US dollar because they see a sense of stability in that front. In this context of CBD, especially when PayPal announced its stablecoin, this context came up to say, hey, is this an avenue for US to preserve its US dollar hegemony and still preserve the demand for US dollar and which gives the ability and and the US passport the power that it yields today in the in the world is the ability for them to be able to say that if there's enough demand for US dollar, then we still continue to maintain uh that power and it's just the notion of tokenized fiat. And I characterize central bank digital currencies as you as you so eloquently put, and stable coins. And now the new term of tokenized deposits, which is interbank sort of settlement of these deposits, uh, collectively as tokenized fiat. So I just want to get your perspective. Does tokenized fiat help, aid, or make it worse? Because suddenly now there's more demand. And then to Derek's point early on, can we issue more debt because there's enough demand for it? I'll pause here and love to get your perspective on that.
2: Mm. In my opinion, tokenized fiat in the form of whether it be a, a Facebook coin or a, a USDT or any other digital current, USDC, any of these digital currencies, they're all backed ostensibly by US dollars in the bank. So it's effectively all the same thing. Now, of course, one might argue because it's more convenient to deal in the digital version of the currency that it is to do banks, bank payments, it increases the demand. But at the end of the day, all countries are going to have their own CBDCs anyway. So it's come, you know, the, the digital transfer is, is coming anyway, it, it, although we've more or less got it today anyway. You can bring up, you, well, you can go online in your bank and make a payment to the other side of the world in minutes. It might take 24 hours before the money gets there, but you can certainly instruct it <laughs> immediately. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, that's, I love that part. Start-
0: that's, the, that's, the, that's the swift part. The swift part is actually placing yeah, the order. I know. Unfortunately, the time part's how long it takes to get there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it well, it well, yeah. I mean, it, it it depends on the time of day you make your instruction, but it, it won't be immediate because there's all. It's got a path when you make a payment through the traditional banking system, even if it's automated, fully automated through your system, it's still got to pass in many cases through a clearing bank in the United States of its dollars. So, if I ask my, uh, let's say, Credit Suisse, UBS, one of the Swiss banks, to make a payment, they in dollars, they're going to if I do it automatically hopefully their system will automatically issue an order to JP Morgan Chase or whoever their clearing agent is which will instruct to make the payment to Santander bank in Brazil or whatever it happens to be but it takes time for each of these steps so it could be this you know if you're lucky later the same day more likely the next day mm. sometimes two days later it's, it's not as efficient as a, as a fully digital payment system, which is literally instantaneous. Would that increase the demand for dollars? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, it still suffers from exactly the same problems that the currency to which it's linked, the US dollar, is one which is being inflated very rapidly out of existence. And maybe i just come back. I, I did say we get to a point in 10 years when possibly the interest on the national debt exceeds the tax receipts of the United States. Um, we're not going to get there. That's impossible. You know, what I just said is absolutely impossible. We're not going to get there because something has to happen before. And what happens before, I don't know. I mean, of course, what they might do is raise taxes and it all sorts itself out. They can't really cut spending because most of their spending is what they call non-discretionary. And the little left, which is one sixth, which they could play with, wouldn't even wipe out the deficits of each year. So really, they haven't got a lot of leeway on the spending side.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, Clive. So, so let me ask this, right because Milton Friedman, the Nobel laureate, did talk about the fact that inflation is kind of a tax. And you're absolutely right that at some point, whether we are collecting tax in direct form or we are actually introducing taxes in, in, in various implied ways, it becomes an interesting in terms of money supply. And that begs the question, at least by research, the various macroeconomic element with introduction of new technology. So paper notes were, back in the day, a new technology which allowed us to have a store of value. CBDCs now are replacing that, and technology by default is, is is deflationary. The synergy value of issuing money becomes a lot more cheaper, and then you have these two equations, right? Money supply and and velocity of money, the the MV equals PQ equation. That every central bank is looking into this and saying, can we increase the velocity of money? If we increase the velocity of money, do we have to maintain a smaller base because the money is able to move faster? And I think CBDC at a, at a at, at, at ability for us to be able to use the digital rails and not rely on the existing SWIFT model, which it oftentimes takes a day or two or more in, in some cases. So one data point, does technology play a role here in changing some of the constructs around velocity and money supply? And second question I, I would ask, you know, piggybacking on, on that element is, and this is, on, you know, this is the question of, Actually, asked many economists in some of the workshops that I did with Federal Reserve is because you have digital money and because we have real-time information of where the money is going in aspects of economies, can the economist, which eventually feed into the decision making from central bankers, give you real-time information in monetary policy and fiscal policy that, that governs the movement of money and taxation? So I'll I'll pause here and, and love to see if, if that question made sense, but it's a two-part question. I know it's a long question, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that live.
2: Well, One of the greatest enemies of the bank today, and not when we had the banking crisis in 2008, is this the mouse. What that means is that news, rumor, innuendo, and so on can move at the speed of light, as can the money. So uh, things are moving much much faster now so if i want to withdraw my money from a particular bank because i think they're a bit dodgy and i've heard a rumour i'm not going to sit around to find out if the rumour is true i'm going to move it and uh, certainly we can we can we're capable of moving money around much much faster now that's not really the velocity of circulation of money but it, it is a it is a factor which plays into it if you want to move things quickly but i think the one of the big factors in the velocity of money is the rising Interest rates we've got at the moment. As interest rates rise, which in turn is being driven by inflation, people are much more anxious to put their money to work faster. So people are now looking at their bank account balances, lying idle, earning a quarter of a percent, and saying, I could do better than that. And they're looking for alternatives. And out there, you can simply go to a money market fund in dollars and get 5%. Or you can take it out of the banking system and and play one of the other games, many financial games which are out there. And that, of course, for most people is the stock market. But obviously, uh, with the increasing knowledge and information about the crypto industry, there's a growing army of people who are becoming interested in that area as well. And we all know that things move a lot faster in crypto in terms of prices than they do in the old stock market world. And one thing I've learned in my 47 years is that people are very attracted by things which change price fast. So it doesn't matter if it's worth anything or not worth anything. If the price is changing up and down in two directions. It makes it an asset and people want to earn it.
0: Mm. So, you know, what, what knit and raise then is quite interesting, and that is that normally when technology does come along, it's deflationary because it in- increases efficiencies, it increases opportunities and increases speed. It would be interesting to see in due course, whether we'll see the CBDCs compete with other digital assets and digital currencies. When spoken of in this area, people commonly make the mistake of saying, oh, that's interesting. That must be involved with cryptocurrencies, when the vast majority of tokens that have been created actually aren't currencies at all. They represent a utility, a service, an asset. And and, and however, they're so liquid in so many ways and so capable of being fractionated that they can also be a currency because they can be transacted quickly. So I wonder if the CBDC does come into play, two things here. I wonder whether people will look towards other digital solutions or currencies or assets that are tradable to move their money to. And in the short term, I'm going to ask you part of this question too, Nitin. Mate, in the short term, you know, what is actually happening at the moment with BIS and, and I think it's MIS who, who are looking at putting a set of regulations in for the G20? to restrict cryptocurrencies, potentially being competition to these future central bank digital currencies. I might throw it to Nitin first, and then maybe you could answer your thoughts too, in regards to what that future yeah. might be in competing solutions.
1: Yeah, the, I think the other alphabet agency looking for is IMF. So BIS is central yeah. bank of central bank, which is Bureau of And IMF. So I think these agencies are global agencies. And of course, since the inception of these agencies, they've been dealing with the US dollar and the role of US dollar as global reserve and, you know, settling the large commodities and the market depth of US dollar is, as, as Clive would tell you, is quite dominant for any other currency to displace it. And I think the challenges as the true cryptocurrencies. And I do discern between digital asset, crypto asset, cryptocurrencies. Mm. Because cryptocurrencies are born from crypto economic systems. And crypto economic systems generally have an incentive economic structure like Bitcoin does. And there's a mining and there's a whole slew of participation to keep up the security of the ledger, which which is what makes it unique from that perspective. It doesn't have any, it still has a constant money supply. And and I think there is a there's a virtue to that, that the fact that I cannot change money supply and it's 21 million you know, bitcoins and eventually you have, it goes up to eight decimal places. So you can go up to the lowest common denominator called, 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 you know, ads or satoshis. And you have a certain multiplier effect that goes from that perspective. But I think from a point of view of inflexible money supply systems, because the world changes around us and the population changes around us, the, the quantity of money required, which over time, whether it's amount of commodities and amount of assets available for us to make investments and buy and trade and do all these things, can we truly rely on a much more rigid system, which while it maintains the value of money and preserves the sort of value status, it subtly may lose the other attributes of currency, which is namely unit of account and medium of exchange, only because suddenly now people see that as an avenue for it to be able to preserve the value. And I think that debate is something that BIS and IMF and FA, the, the financial Stability Task Force, they all have opined upon the ability for the, the banking system to keep up using cryptocurrencies. Can that destabilize the existing financial system? So that debate, and there have been papers after papers and studies after studies to say, is this a competing currencies? And if that displaces the equation that we have today, is that good for the banking system? Well, of course not because bitcoin doesn't constrain and confined to the banking standards and banking way of transacting and it's still a truly peer to peer system and if it has enough depth it has the potential to displace many of the dominant g20 currencies per se and that is the concern that if sovereign loses its ability to be able to issue sovereign fiat then where is the governance and where is the stability in the existing financial system and i think that is still an open question and i think that's the that's the debate that the likes of the FATF and and the Financial Stability Board and IMF and BIS and various global agencies are, are opining on. But I'll pause here. I'll have to get Clive's opinion on, on this as well.
2: Yeah. So coming back to the debate that Derek was alluding to, the question that it's Bitcoin versus CBDCs, and I suppose by illusion, Bitcoin versus cash. I, I don't really see that there's any comparison between uh, the CBDC and Bitcoin. The CBDC and Bitcoin are completely different things. No, no Whilst the original thought around Bitcoin was it was a new form of cash, a new monetary system, I think that's long ago faded away. And Bitcoin is these days regarded as digital gold, a new form of digital gold, which is more convenient to deal with in terms of moving around and changing place and also has one big advantage over the over gold it's got a fixed supply so you know where you stand in terms of how much is out there and you know who's got it unlike gold so but i don't really think that anybody would say that uh, bitcoin could possibly become the generalized payment system the technology at least surrounding bitcoin isn't really there. I mean, there is the Lightning Network, which makes instantaneous transactions. Well, Bitcoin's instantaneous as well, but there's limitations on the net, on the Bitcoin network. The Lightning Network, which could also deal in Bit- Bitcoin, is instantaneous. Uh, and for many people, in- including San Salvador, have started using the Lightning Network to speed mm. up transactions. But uh, I don't really see the CBDC of Bitcoin being in competition with one another. I don't see any reason for the governments to fear it. I think they will intend to bring in the CBDC. They, that will be the dominant system in terms of currency usage. Whether some other cryptos springs up as an alternative monetary transmission mechanism, I'm thinking maybe Ripple, I'm sure you could think of lots of others. That that remains to be seen. But I don't think it's I don't think Bitcoin is the one which will will, yeah. will be a money transmission ex- system. Hmm. Possibly
1: Actually, Claire, let me let me challenge you on that one. Right. So it's to me, I view. You... Uh, and I, I've always defined this space in oversimplified three I's approach, right? You know, you have the infrastructure. So Bitcoin is an infrastructure of sorts. It's truly global in nature. And I've done numerous experiments that allows me to be able to move money using Bitcoin system. And then I looked into Ethereum. And if you look at Ethereum, the emerging DeFi, decentralized financing, you know, financial innovation that's happening. It's the same rules of engagement, whether in Uganda, India or United States or Switzerland, there are no barriers to the entry that our existing financial system has access to the financial instruments, especially stocks and bonds and equities. I don't think a middle-class school teacher in Uganda can even afford it, only because you need to have access to the the investment banking ecosystem, which requires a higher threshold, even as an entry point. So it it has an egalitarian effect. And I view that also as infrastructure. So that's the first I is infrastructure, right? Do we have enough a uh, transactional system that allows it to be able to transact globally across border. The second I is instruments. Token is a token is a token. Can I tokenize fiat, which is CBDC, stablecoin, all the conversation we're having here? Can I use another form of fungible assets like Bitcoin and Ether, truly fungible instruments in the crypto ecosystem? And then you have other tokens that represent some asset class, whether it's asset tokenization or whether it's native tokens like DeFi ecosystem. And the third eye is insights, that suddenly now I have transparency, which is what blockchain is, is touted with. I have enough information, I have enough data, whether it's fraudulent activity that we've seen recently with Curve or whether it's the ability for me to look into overall money supply or overall token supply and utility of that token. I have enough data at my fingertips to be able to make that decision in terms of valuation of the asset, which is Clive, you brought up that earlier. You know, so these three eyes, in general, are collapsed into a single system, cryptocurrencies and crypto assets yeah. do all of these things. So don't you think that as the market depth, or collective market depth of the entire crypto industry evolves, and it reaches a certain, like the global scale is 471 trillion of all the value of assets or whatever, and crypto is like 1 trillion at the moment, but let's say crypto reaches up to 100 trillion at some point. Doesn't that at that point threaten the or compete with it with the existing fiat system.
2: Well, I absolutely agree with you. Everything you said is completely, I mean, completely in agreement. I was actually a little bit more specific on Bitcoin, which I don't think would, if if we're talking about a money transmission system, I don't think Bitcoin is it. Bitcoin is going to be great if you want to make a large transaction. And it's probably the best thing if you want to make a large payment to another country, you know, you want to move a a million or 5 million or even 100,000, where if you want to do it via your bank, you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops and Questioning and fill in forms, so Bitcoin is absolutely great for that. But the man in the street is not going to be using Bitcoin for buying a bar of chocolate, and there's one simple reason for that. At the moment, it takes ten minutes uh, because that's how quickly they process the blocks. Every ten minutes, it takes ten minutes for the transaction to go through, and people aren't going to wait in the shop to buy the bar of chocolate for ten minutes. Now, with the Lightning Network, that won't be necessary, and obviously, that that might well catch on. So, I'm not saying never, never. I'm just saying that as as I see it at the moment, a coin isn't the thing for day-to-day transactions. Yeah. But I think you're right. If the crypto industry becomes very, very large, there will be plenty of coins which have emerged and and, and so on, which absolutely do the job in a fraction of, the, uh, of a second and can handle things at scale. And some of those might well become competition. The question is, what have you got? Have you got something which is better than the, the money system we've got at the moment? And the answer is, it's quite easy to make something better because the money system we've got at the moment, which is expandable at the whim of the government, to infinite levels is, is not a very good system, as at least not when it comes to saving money. So savers who've Ooh. been saving for the retirement in money terms are finding that their money doesn't buy them nearly as much as it did when they first saved it. Very much so. I
0: think the board of Ripple would like to have you on one of their podcasts, Clive, because I think they would be, <laughs> they would be arguing the proposition you're dead right and Ripple is their solution. And we, and our, from our viewpoint, Ripple is just one of the many ways that monies can be transferred around the place. And, and, you know, the and, there's, and there's plenty of others. But... That's right. And the giant payment gateways of the world, the MasterCards, the Visas, the PayPals, the JP Morgans, who are investing huge amounts of money to this, you know, they're focusing on stable coins as their current payment methods, but it'd be very simple for them to change to another payment method should they need to and, and step away from this existing currency system. So, so the tech is really there and, and the user base is growing as far as that goes. Who knows what it's going to be in regards to how it might impact what you're, you know, sort of discussing as potentially a bit of an Armageddon of of you know current fiat system coming up, I really think that's going to be part for for a next show. But I would like to ask one last question, and that is that you know if you are and and you know we can really see you know potentially hyperinflation occurring, and let's just say that digital assets doesn't step in and compete with it and 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 cause a deflationary environment, a more efficient way of transferring. You know what what are your suggestions? to investors in in the in the future in regards to what they should have their money in and not in and clearly i guess they shouldn't have their money in cash or bonds is that what you would suggest
2: uh, those who have a large amount of cash in money, bonds, money market funds are going to one day wake up and find there's a crisis on their hands. They think they can do something with their money. It'll be too late. They won't be able to. The banks will be closed. Their network might not be working the way they expected, and they won't be able to move money around into what they want. So my my idea, my suggestion to those who've got a lot of it is to start doing something with your money now. And the way to go is to put it into things which will be Uh, which will hold their value. So let's just run through a list of things which will hold their value if we have a currency reset. A currency reset is when they literally replace the old currency with a new one and you can't spend the old one and you're left as the bag holder holding a bunch of useless Argentinian pesos or some other worthless currency. So what do you want to do? So I'm going to run through some things. Equities will be fine because they own businesses, they own workforces, they have distribution networks, they have products which people want to buy. So they'll continue. Real estate will be good. Likewise, gold, silver, I think Bitcoin is is perfectly valid as a, a form of asset, but we can move into more tangible assets that people use on a day to day basis. For example, I have a friend who collects rare whiskies, and um, these are whiskies from mm. defunct breweries, which can only go up in value because they'll never make any more from those distilleries. I said breweries, distilleries. I meant. You could also, if buy your next year, if you only have a few bob, buy next year's supply of razor blades or firewood, or maybe you want to build yourself an extension to your house or a garden shed or buy some exercise machines there's a whole bunch of things that you can do with your money depending on how much you've got you might want to buy some power generators or anything you might need next year a bicycle it doesn't matter that you don't feel like doing exercise this year you might do it next year so any way you can reduce your bank balance get it out of bonds get out of cash get out of money markets so you don't have too much to lose if you wake up and the banks are closed and there's a currency reset that would be my advice
0: very good all right, absolutely fascinating. I That's would have sir. a number of takeaways from this and, and and that is that it's going to be extraordinary to see what the confluence of technology is going to do to the current laws of economics, because they are going to disrupt them. Whether it's going to be a very positive disruption or a negative disruption, I guess that depends on where you're sitting in the ecosystem. And. You know, the thought of being able to buy, you know, gold, property, Bitcoin, collectibles, as you say, whiskey, leads me to the fact that I I think I would like to ask my partner if I can buy a 911 SC convertible. Because really, it is a collectible car, I think it'll go up in value, and it's damn good reason (laughs) to spend money, that's what I see. (laughs) The,
2: the, The reason that a Leonardo da Vinci painting sold for half a billion dollars a few years ago was there were two very rich people who wanted it, and both had almost infinite amounts of money. And uh, when that happens, something which is highly desired and extremely rare can reach astronomical yeah, levels of, of value.
0: Yes. And true. that's because very they very
2: put, And no, that couldn't have happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because there wasn't enough money on the planet. But the amount of money on the planet is doubling every few years now, and it's so people have got more and more and can pay higher and higher prices for these rare goods.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Sure. all right thank you very much for being on the show Clive hugely appreciate it always enjoy visiting you in Switzerland always enjoy our discussions thank you so much
2: well thank you very much for inviting me well, thank you, and I uh, wish you a thank lovely you, afternoon
1: thanks again take care
2: Cheers Bye-bye, Bye-bye, bye bye Nathan bye bye Derek
0: we hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation if you have any questions comments or suggested topics please contact Nitin or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.